This week's parsha is Parsha's Baloscha, and um, there is quite a number of sukkim dedicated to a group of uh, people, which seems to be a, quite an extensive group of people in the, the Midbar, where the Jews were in the desert, known as the Misonanim. Misonanim were the complainers. And Torah goes through a list of grievances, a list of uh, complaints that B'nai Yisrael had. And Rashi points out that for the most part, they were really uh, not... uh, not only were they not valid complaints, but uh, they uh, actually smacked of a tremendous amount of, of lack of akarasatov, a lack of appreciation. Uh, and so, we're not going to get into right now, but Rashi actually brings down, the Pazik says they were kemis onanim. It's like they were complaining, which implies that clearly whatever the complaint was wasn't the real complaint. There was something else that was bothering them. And it's not, no, we're not going to get into it maybe at a different time. But they complained about uh, the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu rushed them from Har Sinai to get to the boundary of Eretz Yisrael. An 11-day journey, he was able to make it happen in three days. They should have been happy. They're getting close to Eretz Yisrael. They were upset about that. They were upset about the fact that when you ate the mun, you did not need to go to the bathroom. You know, the mun, it tastes like every other food, any food you wanted. Any, there was a couple of foods it didn't taste like. They complained about that. I mean, they, they're just, you know, the... They complained they didn't have meat. You know, they were just, uh, and they were fabulously wealthy. You know, they had cattle, they had, uh, there's, the complaints are, are we're going to focus on one of the complaints. It just, it, it reminds me, um, going back uh, close to 20 years ago, I was, uh, my, uh, an uncle and, and cousins, they run a, a company called Kosher Rico. It's a, uh, it was in cruising, they do Pesach now, and I would go very often on the cruises with scholar, as scholar in residence. I'd give the Dafyomi, run the Minion, and uh, one of the uh, one of the trips that I really enjoyed doing was the Alaska trip. You know, just see the beauty of uh, the world that Akash Borch created. We do the Inside Passage. We'd leave from Seattle. Yeah, go through the inside passage and then come back. It was really a, a beautiful trip. One year, for whatever reason, the, the, uh, couldn't get the contract for that particular trip. They had to leave from Vancouver. You can do the same trip, Vancouver. Except the difference was that Vancouver, the trip is Friday to Friday, not Sunday to Sunday. And, uh, the problem that created is that probably one of the most difficult aspects of running a kosher section on a cruise. You've got these uh, large uh, cruise ships, five, 6,000 people, and you have the, a few hundred Jews come on, and all of a sudden they start, they need the kitchen done in a certain way, and they need the food, and, and, and the supervision, mashkichim, you know, the, 
it basically drive, drive them crazy. And um, Shabbos is the most difficult out of all the days in terms of where the kashas comes into play. Because you have to have everything set up and ready to go. You can't do any cooking. It has to be, you know. And remember, you're coming into, they have fabulous chefs that, 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 that run their programs with huge egos. And then you're telling them what you need and how you need to do it. It's, it's not simple. But the, the benefit has always been you get on on Sunday, you got yourself a whole week to be able to make sure you get to know the people, they get to know who you are, they know what the expectations are, and Shabbos then can go without a hitch. But, because they were doing the Vancouver Friday to Friday, that was a huge challenge. You're getting on on Friday and you have to be ready for Shabbos. I figure, not the end of the world, they would get the, the Rava Machshir and the Mashgichim, they would get them on on like Wednesday of the previous cruise, and then they would stay on and get be able to have Shabbos ready. The problem was, what they didn't realize, is that there's some kind of law at the time that you're not allowed to board a cruise ship from a different country. And once it left Vancouver, it entered into other... They couldn't get on. And bottom line is, they all waiting the Wednesday, couldn't get on. And earliest they could get on was early Friday morning and they have to be ready for Shabbos. It was pandemonium. It was crazy. You know, and, okay, my uncle, uh, Yehuda, should live and be well, he comes over to me Shabbos morning in a panic. He says to me, you're not going to believe this. They have some policy that we weren't able to work out because we got on so late. They don't leave things plugged in overnight and they unplugged all the challenges. You know, so you got people paying ten, fifteen thousand dollars to go on this thing. Shabbos comes, no challenge. He says, when you get up and give your drosha, figure out a way to uh, make this work without them, you know, wanting to lynch us. So it happened to be Parsha Baloscha, this week's Parsha, and I spoke about the Mosonim, the complainers, and I we were like on the. We were on the, in the, the bird's nest on the eighth, uh, whatever deck it was. You look outside and you see the water and you see the beautiful. And I said, you know, look at all the beautiful thing God has given us. It's very important in life that we focus on the positives and we focus on all the wonderful things that we have. And sometimes there's curveballs and negatives, but we can't make everything about the negative. We have to. And I said, our first opportunity to show that we learned the message of the Masonanim is <laughs> there will not be any trolling to Shabbos. You know. So I didn't get any complaints. I don't know if it helped him not get any complaints. I never got any complaints. But I remember that was the, uh, that was the Parshas Balos, so we were on, uh, on, this, on this cruise. Okay. The, uh, <clears throat> so the, the complaint that I do want to deal with is Perek uh, Yud Aleph, that's where the Masonian are brought down, Pasuk Yud. Says as follows: Vayishma Moshe es Ha'am, and Moshe heard the people boche; they were crying. Let's go with their families. Each lepesach alo, each one at the entrance of his tent. Vayichar af Hashem ma'od ve'ene Moshe, and Hashem got angry. Why are they getting? Why are they upset? Why are they crying? Ve'ene Moshe ra, and in the eyes of Moshe, 
this was evil, that, that, they, that they were complaining about this. So what were they complaining about? So Raji says, so Raji brings down two pshats. And what does it mean with their families? Mishpachos, mishpachos, nesafinu bochem. Is that they were crying in, uh, publicly. They, in groups of families, it means in their families, they were crying, right? It doesn't really tell us what they were crying about. It's just saying how they were crying. And this was public display that Hashem was upset about. Lefarsem taruma tarum tarumatan begolui to to publicize their grievance to show what they were upset about. However, the Gemara in Masechus Yuma says tells us specifically what they were upset about. Rabbi Seinu Amru lemish bechosav wasn't that that's how they were crying. It's why they were crying. They were crying about their families. What does that mean? Al iske mishpachosav al arayos aneesaros lehem. They were upset about the fact that they they just got the Torah, and in the Torah now all of these women that were once permitted to them now have become prohibited. The consanguous relationship, the prohibited relationships. So they were crying lemishpachosav. They were crying about these these families. So. You know, so you could say, well, practically, that meant practically that there were people, a, a, a nephew had married his aunt, uh, you know, uh, technically a brother had married a sister, a father had married a daughter, technically, before Martin Torah, perhaps, you could argue. That, and now, all of these prohibited relationships kicked in, so they couldn't continue those Marriages, and they were all upset about it. They, they, they could hear that that would be something they would be upset about. There is an interesting question that is raised by the Maharal, the uh, 16th, 17th century. The Maharal asks as follows. We know, he says, we know that the Jewish experience of Amar Sinai was very similar to a conversion. Actually, it was a conversion. They had the sprinkling on them, they had to go to mikvah, they, they, they became Jewish. They, at Har Sinai, they converted. And we know that the law is, Gershon is Gar, Kukotin, Shinola, Dami. When a person converts, it becomes like a newborn. Which the Gemara says, technically, it comes out that whatever relations you had before you converted, whatever relationships there were, they're no longer related. A brother, technically, if both brother and sister convert, they could marry. A mother and a, do- a, a daughter and a father could marry because they no longer have that connection. So his question he asks is, if what we went through at Harsinai was a conversion, then what are they crying about? Why are they crying? They, they, they should not have been prohibited based on, they should have been able to continue those relationships. So he says a fascinating idea, which um, I, will, I, will, I will share with you, and I, maybe, maybe today we can understand a little bit different, meaning if you learn that they had to leave these particular relationships, then you understand why they upset. Right? I have to divorce my aunt. I have to, we understand that they're upset, right? But his question is, why do they have to? What, what you need? Right. There, there, Shama. So his question is, why? Why do they have to? Right. So he says it's interesting. He says when a person goes through conversion, he says there's two aspects to the conversion. 
Number one, you're disconnecting from your previous heritage and you're gaining a new heritage. When the person was Italian, alright, now he's no longer Italian, he's connecting to the lineage of Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov. That's when a person converts, right? That's why one of the names, what does it become? Bas, Bas uh, Avram and Sarah, Bas uh, Ben Avram and Sarah, because you're now disconnecting with your past lineage and you're getting a, a new lineage, right? There's another aspect, is also you get what's called Kedushas Yisrael. You get the sanctity of being a Jewish person that you didn't have before you converted. There's two aspects. One is the new lineage, and number two, the sanctity of the Kedushas Yisrael. So what he suggests is it's true that the Jewish people at Har Sinai were considered Geirim. They converted. He said, but their conversion only had the second aspect. They did not have the first aspect. They became, they got, from when they got the Torah, they got Kedushas Yisrael, the sanctity of Israel. They got, that's like almost the, it's, it's, it's a whole level of, ex, a new level of existence. The, um, Kuzri, famous Rabbi Yehuda Halevi, and his, he's got a sefer called the Kuzari, is a dialogue with the, uh, king of the Khazars. He had this terrible dream and he wants to know that he's doing something wrong, something bad's going to happen and he wants to take on a new religion and he has a, uh, a priest and he has an imam and he has a Jewish rabbi and each one, uh, this goes back uh, to the 8th, uh, ninth century. The Buddha Levi, a famous uh, uh, composer and poet, he wrote this sefer called the, and he goes through and he gives the, it's one of the basic uh, fundamental store, uh, uh, books on, on Jewish philosophy and, and Jewish faith. And he explains there, he says that there's different levels of existence. Right, you have uh, domem, something that's inanimate. You have tzomeach. Uh, you have chai. You have medaber, something that can speak, that human being, and then you have yisrael. It's like a whole different level of that's that's what. So therefore, they get dushes yisrael that created that new level of existence. They got at Har Sinai, but what they didn't need was the first aspect of conversion. What was the first aspect? Someone's Italian. You're disconnected now from your previous lineage, and you create a new lineage. They didn't have to have that. Why didn't they have to have that? Because they already were connected to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. They already had that lineage. So since they didn't have that disconnection, then what allows a, a, a convert to both a man, a, a man and woman convert that a brother and sister that they can now remarry is because they disconnect from their previous lineage. They connect to a new lineage. They're no longer related. But that's only if you're disconnecting from your previous lineage. But here they didn't disconnect from their previous lineage because they were already related to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Therefore, those relationships still remain prohibited and that's why they were crying because now they had to leave because the new laws, the new set of laws, they had to leave the wives. And as he says, it's a, a, a brilliant understanding and it does fit, right? But I want to see that perhaps we can also add another element of what it is that they were crying about that Moshe, because it says Hashem was upset at them and Moshe was upset at them. They, if, if they're upset because they have to leave their sister or their brother, okay, you can hear why they're upset. Seems to be there's a much more fundamental issue that they're upset about that Hashem and Moshe are upset that they're complaining about. What is it they're complaining about? Bochin al mishbechosa. There's an interesting uh, Gemara in the Seth of Shabbos. Let me read this Gemara to you. Fascinating Gemara. 
Anybody who's had to make a wedding will identify with this. If you've had to marry off a son or a daughter, maybe you remember your own wedding to go back to. It says as follows, Tanya, Rav Shimon Gamliel Omer, Kol mitzvah shekiblu aleim besimcha. Any mitzvah that when the Jews first got it, they embraced it, it with, with happiness, right? So then, kigoyin milo, like bris milo, right? David Amelov said that I, um, uh, re- I rejoice on concerning your word like one who finds great wealth. Kamozi Shalal Rav. Adain Osa Basimcha. We accepted a Basimcha. Avram Avinu, when he accepted Brismila, it was the happiest day. We accepted that. Therefore, till today, a Bris is a, poor, is a cause of celebration. We celebrate as a very happy occasion. Adain also b'simcha, it's celebrated. But call mitzvah shekibla alem b'ketata. But when there was a mitzvah that we accepted with contentiousness, with conflict, kagoyin, arayos, like the prohibited relationships, they were crying. Bochanan was, oh, when they got that mitzvah, they all cried. He heard them crying according to their families. What does it mean according to their families? That they were complaining about the relationships that now became prohibited. That conflict still is till today. We have a, 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 a residual of that conflict. Where do we have the residual of that conflict? To Lake Aksuva, to Lerami Batigra. Because there's no Ksuva. Exuva, when you have to sit down and work out the financial details of the wedding, who's responsible for who and who is to take care of what, and it, just, it always involves fighting. Why does it always involve fighting? This is because when we originally got the mitzvah of Arias, we did not accept it and embrace it in a celebratory manner, but there was conflict that happened. Alright? Now, I don't think there's anybody here or anywhere else that is not aware of a wedding that has this contentiousness going from both sides. And almost, you know, hopefully that it's, it's once in a while, I can tell you that myself, we've had Mechutonim that it's been unbelievable, unbelievable, you know, that it's been no, not an issue and sometimes it needs to be worked out and it's, it's, it leaves a bad taste and it's things that sometimes people still remember, you know, for, for uh, forever in, in certain cases. Now, what the question I want to ask is as follows. I understand you say that when we accepted the mitzvah of Mila, so we celebrate Mila in a happy way. The mitzvah was, was arayus. Mitzvah was arayus, prohibited relations. Right? How has it manifest itself now that there's always fighting? The ksuba. What's, what's the connection? Meaning, why is that the place? Didn't they, they, the, the, they had to leave their marriages. I want to say, so the so marriage uh, or the the marriage is is, a, is is going to be a fight, or the or the ceremony is going to be a fight. No, it's, it's focusing specifically what aspect is there going to be a fight? Specifically in the ksuva. Why is the ksuva the specific area that? reflect the contentiousness that they had, that they weren't happy with the relationships that they had to give up back then. 
That's the that's that's what I'm trying to figure out if we can get an answer to it. It's also if you learn like the the uh Maral wants to say is they had to leave those women. They were upset about that. It's interesting. So they were upset about that. So we still have a fight over the Ksuva till today. It means it makes sense to say is that some of that negativity still is there till today and therefore it manifests itself in the... Uh, but if it's something that only happened for that generation, only that generation had the, and, and doesn't affect us anymore, then you know, it's hard to hear that this should continue till today being a problem. Mila, till today, we accept it, we celebrate, we understand the significance of it. Why, why is it that that, that fact that if that guy had to divorce his, nep- his aunt or his sister or his daughter, that's still a problem that is still today. It seems to me that it's a much deeper issue that is relevant till today and it is something therefore that manifests itself in terms of tzuva, which is what I want to discuss as well. They were not allowed to take more than one woman also. Back then they could. Nowadays, after Cherem Rabbeinu Gershom. Rabbeinu Gershom uh, lived in the 8th century, 8th, 9th, 9th century. He made a Cherem for the Ashkenazi world that they cannot have more than one wife. When they had the, the when they brought the, from Teman, they brought them all back to Israel. Everyone's coming with five wives, six wives. The Rabbanut actually made it, uh, they passed in, even for the Sephardic world, they can't have more than one world. The joke they say is in the Ashkenazi, that, that, that uh, it, the uh, the ban came along with the creation of credit cards, but I don't know if that's uh, anyway. But uh, the the, uh, the so let's take a look over here at the Ramban. There's a famous Ramban in Vayikra that talks about the consanguineous relationship, the provision of the arayos. Arayos is the word erva. Erva literally means like nakedness. It's that they prohibited nakedness, but the ones that are prohibited to you. And he discusses what's the reason. It means what is, we don't, you know, we don't know necessarily all the reasons that Shem tells us what to do, but sometimes if it makes sense, some of these, is there a way we can understand it makes sense that we should not engage in relations with Relatives that we should not marry relatives. That really, why? What is the reason? So again, something I want to say is that it's actually um, medically unsafe. In fact, in in royalty, in royal circles, they used to marry very much. Uh, it was very incestuous, and that's where the expression "blue blood" came because they all, many of them, suffered from. Um, what do you call it? Clotting disease. Uh, uh, not, not anemia. What is it called? Um, where the blood doesn't clot, anyway, that, that's the, because of the, they, one of the, they say that because if you marry within, uh, in, in, in the family, that's what ends up, but anyway, the, what, let's take a look at the Ramban. It says, Tam Iser Ha'arayos, B'She'er Basar, the prohibition to marry relatives, this prohibition, Einenem furish. it's not clear. The Torah doesn't, it just says you can't do it, it doesn't say why. So he quotes, he says, V'harav, the Rav, when it comes to the Rav, he's referring to the Rambam. Maimonides, Amar B'mor Nebuchim. Maimonides wrote a sefer called The Guide to the, uh, for the Perplexed, where he, Mora Nebuchim, he gives reasonings for different things. And he says like this, that the Rambam, Rambam says, it's ki lemayat is that he want, Hashem wanted to limit our access to intimacy, to, to being uh, physical with women all the time. 
Right? So he wanted to limit that. Belimos also, and to create a certain level of, uh, that it should be rejected, that people should not want to be that driving them all the time. And to teach us that we have to limit the amount of time that we spend on this particular subject. Right? And the women that are prohibited to us, these are women that are around you all the time. Meaning that there would be so much accessibility to these women that it would be impossible to limit the amount of intercourse and interactions that a man has with women because they would be there all the time. So he's saying, that's the Ramah says the motor, that the reason why Hashem... It's to create that boundary that you cannot, it's not, it's not in your house. You have to go, to get a wife, you have to go somewhere else. You can't, it's not going to be there readily available to you. And he says, the, Ramba, the, the Ibn Ezra says a similar idea is that man is, has, got, has, 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 has animalistic tendencies and we have to curb those animalistic tendencies and making something so accessible to him all the time, he wouldn't be able to curb those tendencies and therefore the Torah created boundaries with the women that are in your home at all times that they shouldn't be readily available for you, and that you have to go out of your home to be able to get married. And the Ramban does not like this. He says that, I don't understand that. He says, I don't see that that should be a good enough reason to make it a chiv kares. Kares, it's a, very, it's a, it's, it's a heavenly death, and it could be ex- executed for it. He says, it doesn't seem to me enough of a reason that it should have such a severe punishment. And he says, more than that, what, 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 uh, uh, what, what Ruth brought up, he says, then why does the Torah allow you to marry a hundred women? If that's the problem, then you shouldn't be able to wear, marry a hundred women. Of course, you shouldn't be, why? Because we want to limit that type of behavior. Yet you see, you're allowed to marry a hundred women. So how can you tell me the whole reason for the Arayos is to limit that type of behavior? And then on the other hand, the Torah goes ahead and makes it okay to marry. And he says, in fact, he says, on a, uh, from a practical standpoint, ideally, it's very interesting over here, he says that it actually makes sense he says, the Zatam Chalush. He says, the, the, Rabbam, the, the Rambam's explain is Chalush. Chalush means it's weak. I don't like it. Chalush Ma'od. Shechah because of Karus al Eile Babur. Alright, and he says like this. And he says, and also, Umatish, Yisa Adam Nashim Rabos, Lemeod Lafim. You can marry a hundred, a thousand women. There's, no, there's nothing telling you can't do that. Alright? And he says, and what's the big deal? Mayazik im Yisa Ad Bito. Why technically should it be problematic to marry your daughter? Right? Like we see that Noah had relations with his daughter. Or where he was to marry two sisters, like Yaakov Avinu went ahead and did. He says, look at this. He says, what could be more beautiful than being able to marry your son to your daughter? Why? He says, there'll be one inheritance. You won't have a fight over the inheritance. Everything, you're not dealing with different families. It's all going through the, the financial thing. It's all the same financial, finances. And the Yifruva, Yirvuva, Beito, right? He says, so, he says, from a logical standpoint, what's wrong? With marrying in your, and to say, because just that to limit the Mishgal, to limit the accessibility to, uh, to, to that activity, 
He says that you shouldn't be able to marry a hundred women, and technically you are. And therefore, he comes out at the end that this idea that you cannot marry uh, a, 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 a relative, he said, it's mechal sod ha'ibur It's 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 like it's kabbalistic. It's like it's it's one of the secrets of the world that we don't really have a good reason because actually, logically, what makes sense is that you should be able to. So now let's see, he's asking a number of good questions on the Rambam. He says, if it's to limit how many times you have access, then why don't we find that you can't marry more than uh, one, what, you, you shouldn't be able to marry more than uh, one wife also. We don't find that in our Torah. So this is, the, this is the question. I want to see if we can get an insight into the Rambam. The Rambam is saying is that we don't want it to be readily available to you in your home. Right? Ramban's question is, so then limit it outside the home too. Should only, should only be allowed to marry one woman. Why are you allowed to marry more than one woman? That, that's his question. So Pasuk Embracious, Perik Bey's Pasuk Yudches, that 99% of us translate this incorrectly. Pasuk says, Vayomer Hashem Elokim, says that Adam was created, originally Adam was created on his own. There was no soulmate created, right? So he says, Adam levado. It's not good that man is alone. Let me make him a helpmate opposite him. Alright? Now most people understand what's the Pasuk saying. Nebuch Every animal has a, 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 he named the animals and this one is the male animal, this is the female animal. They all have helpmates. The only one that doesn't have a soulmate is man. So Hashem compassionately is creating an Isha. That's not how Rashi explains it. Take a look at Rashi. Loto, it's not good for man to be alone. You know why? Because if man is on his own, what man is going to start thinking, he says, There's two deities, there's two powers. God is in control of the heaven. And who's controlled down here? I am controlled. Just as like, I'm on my own here, God's on his own there, I'm in charge. Therefore, says Hashem, he says, therefore, says, right? So therefore, says Hashem, you know what? I'm going to create for him an Isha. The w- purpose of the wife is to teach the man that he's not in charge of the world. That is, he is in charge. She's there to show that, you know what? You, it's not all about you. Meaning, man would be very, it could lead to tremendous egocentric behavior. It's all about me. There's, I don't need a, I don't have a mate. Why? Because it's all about me. And therefore, and, and like, I'm like God. God in the heavens. And I'm down here on earth. No, no. You're going to need a wife. You're going, you're going to have to cater to her. By having to cater to the wife, what does it teach the man? takes away from his own egocentricity. He takes away from his ego because you're responsible to t- cater to her. That is what Rashi tells us. It's an unbelievable thing. So, lo tov, lo tov is not lo good. It's not nice and nebuch, no. Lo tov, man left alone without a wife. That if he did not need a wife, it would be no good because man would think he is God. So basically, a wife's purpose to teach man is not God. Your purpose to teach your husband is not God. He's not in charge. That's, that's, that's the message that Rashi says. 
So you could be an Ezra, could be an Ezra. Right, that's the next Raj. I didn't put it here. So now listen to this. Listen, I'm unbelievable what it's saying over here. And this is what the, what the Rambam and the Mora clearly means. Right? I heard this, this is an interpretation from my Rashiva of Yochan's wife, but clearly this is what the Rambam in the Mora Nebuchim is saying, and then it can answer up the, 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 uh, the Ramban's question. The Rambam says that Hashem did not want that you should marry relatives, your sister, your mother, your daughter. He doesn't want you to be married because they're around you all the time. What does it mean you're around? It's not a question of frequency. It's not a question of frequency because then the Rambam is, the Ramban is right because if it's a question of frequency, then you shouldn't be able to marry a hundred women either, right? It should make no difference. What if you, the Torah shouldn't allow you to go out of them and marry a hundred. That's not the primary issue. The issue is as follows is that if you are in your house, you marry the sister, you marry the daughter, you don't have to go outside of yourself. They cater to you. If it's a stranger, you take somebody from the outside, I have to start learning what their background is, what their behavior is, what their idiosyncrasies are. I have to cater to the thing. There has to be compromise from both sides. You don't have that. If you could marry somebody in your own home, then they, the mother would be sitting there catering to every whim of the guy. The daughter would be every, the sister, every whim of, meaning that whole point of Lotoviosa Adam Levado would be lost. Because the whole idea of Lotova Hoyosa Adam Levado is what? To minimize the ego, to take away from the sense of the person thinking, I call the shots. If he could marry within the home, the Ramam is telling you, is that would be a terrible thing because what would end up happening? He now, instead of having, being selfish, he has to be selfless because he has to think about someone outside of himself. And we know ourselves is that within our homes, it's hard to get people to think outside of themselves. They think very much about it. They come in, it's all about themselves and they think about themselves. And therefore, the requirement is to go outside. Now, you want a hundred women outside? Then you have to cater to a hundred women outside. It doesn't make it easier. It makes it more difficult. But in your home is where there would be that problem. That is the shot in the Rambam in the Moronavuchim. That is the shot. Now we could see that perhaps the idea that they were crying, what were they upset about? Can't marry relatives are crying. It's not that, they, that this generation had to divorce the knees. It's a much bigger and deeper problem. What they were upset about is, is that whereas till now marriage could be a very selfish thing because they could marry within the home. They now have to change the whole concept of what marriage is. Instead of being able to just take what I want and all becomes self-serving and about me, they're not allowed to have those relationships anymore. Now they have to, it has to be selfless. They have to be accommodating. They have to think about what the needs of other people are. That's a huge imposition to someone that hasn't had that as a problem. And therefore, Bochen al Mishbechosav, it wasn't about because now I have to divorce my sister or my niece. That wasn't the main problem. The problem was, is that the whole structure of how you view marriage now changed. That changed. And that's why they were crying. And that's what they're upset about. So, perhaps now we can circle back to our original question. Our original question we asked before was, what is the reason that it says they did not embrace 
the notion of the prohibited relationships. Why does it manifest itself primarily in where? In the ksuva. Why is it primary? Let's think about what a ksuva is for a moment. A ksuva is that both sides have to accept on themselves financial responsibility for who? For the other. The man has to make sure that the wife will be financially taken care of. The woman has to bring the nadan, has to bring the nadunya, the into the... So that this, this is the first ex- case where you have the concept of what the new definition of marriage is. Is marriage is not about self-serving, all about me. I have to take, think about what am I going to do It's best for my wife? How am I going to help her, feed her, clothe her, take care of her when I'm not here? All the things, it's the prenup, but it's a focus on all of what the other person needs. It makes sense that that's where there'll be a contentious focus. Because this is the very point that they were struggling. Instead of making marriage about me, now marriage becomes about the other person. And therefore, where does the fight come out? It comes out in the document that is specifically written that what you have to focus on is the other person. And that is why the Ksuva, Lake Ksuva, that's where it comes. Because why should I have to worry about them? I have to spend my money on... No, that's what marriage is. You have to worry about them. That becomes the issue. That's where it becomes the machloka. So therefore, this bochum amechosav is huge. It's the, because it, the reframing of what marriage is, till then, you take what you wanted. It's in your home, and it's all catering to you. Very self-serving, tremendous amount of egos, centricity. The Torah says, you think you're God. No. You don't, now you're not going to have that. Now you're going to have to go outside of your comfort zone. You're going to have to comfort, talk to someone. You're going to have to date them. You're going to have to uh, understand what they like, understand what they don't like. What do you have to give up of your own? What do you have to give up? That's a whole different way than what marriage was. That's that we're upset about that. That is, and that, and, but bottom line is the message to all of us is also is that, you know, the idea of the real truth or marriage, the, the house, the husband-wife relationship is supposed to teach us is diminish our own egocentricity and learn how to be givers, learn how to focus on the needs of the of the other one. That's really what marriage is supposed to be focusing on. And that's the message we give to ourselves and for our children moving forward. Amen. Amen.